This is the ever-controversial Scott Erickson, and you're listening to the bastard child of the Beatles and Ted Nugent. It's a Fab Four free-for-all! And by the way, George wrote it. And welcome to another edition of Fab Four Free-for-All, the weekly all-talk Beatles and related radio show on the internet. That just sounds so long, doesn't it? It does, so, but it, it works. It works, doesn't yeah. it? And I didn't say we're exciting because we've decided that we're not exciting anymore. Okay, there we go. Yeah, we, there we go. I am your moderator for today, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me today are Tony Chugardo. Hi, folks. And Rob Leonard. Hello. And I'm proud to say that we are a foursome today. No, not that person, but we actually have on the line uh, someone you all know and love, and I'm hoping you all listen to, and if you don't, you will be after this show, because he's worth listening to. We have on the phone Chris Carter, who is the host of Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius XM and 95.5 KLOS. So welcome, Chris. Good evening, gentlemen. Oh, wow, where? I was about to say, very you know nice. something we don't? <laughs> Come on, I've seen photos of you guys. That's You're even very, worse. Very handsome, distinguished looking guys. Ah, really? You're hired. The check cleared. The check cleared. Exactly. <laughs> oh, my God. No, but seriously, we are so happy to actually have someone else take the blame with us <laughs> um, because we are four now and we're not going to be interviewing Chris Carter. Which we can because we he's can, had actually. A, yeah we've actually yeah. can at some point and should because obviously Chris has had a long career in music and as a Beatle fan as well and has probably a lot of great stories to tell but today we are going to have Chris join us as a panelist on the show because we think he has a lot of great stuff to say and he has actually picked. The topic for today, which is a great one, it's a very good topic. It's one that we uh, have not covered yet, but we have covered certain years. We have a series of shows that we have done on the years. We've done 1973, 1971. We've done 67, and I think we did 75 one more. and 75. 75. Some in our current incarnation as Fab Four Free for All. Some in our earlier incarnation as Fab Forum. Right. Well, great. I'm glad this is a year you have uh, not yet approached. Yeah, and the year Chris is talking about is a really important and chock-full-of-nuts year. And I'm not talking about coffee, but it's so chock-full on a Beatle timeline. If you go Google one, you will see how many pages come up on this year. And the year we're talking about is 1970. Now, this year started off as a Beatle year and quickly turned into a solo year. It's very odd, because if you look at it, January 3rd of 1970, the Beatles go in to record I, Me, Mine, without John, Right. Uh, just the three Beatles. Very odd that 1970 took them the three Beatles, and then 1994 and five also took them. Unfortunately, John couldn't be there, but the right. same three. But the Threedles went in and recorded I, Me, Mine, a George song. Very weird also that the last song the Beatles ever recorded was a George song. Right. You know, it's kind of... Right. And it should be noticed because they decided to put it into Let It Be, and he, he just had done this little strum bit. Remember he was in the movie, and they, oh, I just wrote this last night. The Waltz. Yeah, and it's, right. like, Waltz. it's yeah. like because he strummed, and they said, oh, well, we need a version now because of the soundtrack. So that's the only reason they do it. And it's funny because years prior when they weren't bickering and arguing... They probably would have said, oh, that's very lovely, George, but no thank you. I mean, we, they turned down <laughs> all things must pass. But strum me, I me mine. That sounds awesome. And then we'll edit it to make it a two-minute song. You know, have you guys mind. ever um, delved into how many George Harrison songs don't feature John Lennon? Wow. Uh, oh, that, I, that, that, I do sets on the radio. I say, okay, what are those seven songs have in common, all Beatles songs without John Lennon, but they're usually George songs. <laughs> but you're right, because it's after... And shuffle, and there's just... Well, it, it seemed that after true. the whole debacle with the Maharishi, that John either wasn't on George's stuff or would get erased off his stuff. It's very weird. I always, they, people always ask me, you know, why do you think that is? I always say it's because John figures... You play all the guitars, you wrote the song, you know, go ahead, play all the guitars, you know. I, I think it's interesting, actually. I always it's thought it was point. John felt embarrassed by the Maharishi, and it was George's idea so? to see him. Nah, I don't know. I That's, don't know. If, I do agree with Chris in a way. It's kind of cool. It's just like, because, you know, long, 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 you got, yeah. White Album especially, but, yeah. you know, he's always, he's kind of absent on the, on the George number. Though it was uh, John's idea to make something the A-side. 
That's true. Well, that was just a dig at Paul. And, and to release it as a single. He said, uh, I'm inclined. He should release it as a single. And Art Garfunkel had done a bunch of tracks, but they erased those too. Oh, and I'm shut sorry, up. I'm That's hearts and bones. Anyway. Um, so quickly, what happens here is that we go from January 3rd, and we're not going to give you every day of the life of the Beatles in 1970 because we'll be here for about seven hours. Right. But January 3rd, they're recording I Me Mine, and then January 4th, they're recording Let It Be. And after that, I mean, they start mixing some of the stuff for what became the Let It Be album. But then, all of a sudden, the release four days later or five days later on January 9th of Ringo's first solo, well, the Magic Christian project. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're getting, even though the Beatles had like Wonderwall and a couple of John Diddy's, if you could say that, as solo stuff. Now 1970 really starts off where the Beatles as solo artists are coming through and being released, and the priority is not the Beatles as a group. It's right. really the solo members. Right. So now you got live piece in Toronto coming out. John all of a sudden puts out his uh, photos in exhibition of the lithographies and drawings at the London Arts Gallery. So all of this is solo stuff happening. And it's, it's a change in the shift of the way the Beatles are. But what are we seeing from the public perspective at this point? I mean, we're seeing some articles show up a little bit later in the year, say, in Rolling Stone. But yeah. for the most part, from the public's perspective, the Beatles are still together. Yes. I mean, I would think that until, I mean, I don't know, what would you guys They're say? They're still releasing until, singles as a band. Right, exactly. So until, what would you say is really, we'll, we'll get to when the public started to see the real cracks in the firmament. I don't think they saw it that much. I think if you look back at Meteor at the time, you know, not everyone read Rolling Stone. It was a hippie magazine, so to speak. And I think um, the mainstream media, as it wasn't called then, probably didn't even think about it. Right. Because honestly, the Beatles as a group in the public's eye were still around, like you said. And at some point, I believe Let It Be was shown on the Ed Sullivan show Mm -hmm. during the beginning of this year. So as far as the public is concerned, until April, really when uh, the stuff hit the fan, so to speak, with Paul coming out and saying that there's no, no more Beatles, I so to speak. I was the busiest first quarter. I mean, you think about it. I mean, that whole year, I think it's like 14 titles come from John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Wow. Yeah, don't forget, you got the Hey Jude album. Yeah, that got, album comes out in February, yeah, which, so the public Karma still sees Right. So before April, you had Hey Jude, Instant Karma, Let It Be Single, Sentimental Journey, and still no McCartney yet. So that's four releases before April, which is pretty heavy, even yeah. in the Beatle days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Live piece in Toronto. Definitely. When I, and I'm a pretty much first-generation Beatle fan, and when Live Piss in Toronto came out, I didn't know it existed, to be honest with you. I heard Instant Karma all over the radio. I mean, Instant Karma was so played, oh, especially in New York airwaves. area. It was all over. Yeah. So, I mean, it was yeah. awesome, too, because I thought, honestly, as a little kid, I thought it was the Beatles. You know, they yeah. said that John Lennon. Well, I, I didn't know the Beatles were gone yet. So it was the Beatles to me, which was kind of a weird perception. <laughs> you know, on March 1st, then Ed Sullivan shows Let It Be and Two of Us clips. So, again, as far as the... There's still continuity as far as the world Absolutely. Right, Nothing going part. on. Little do they know... What's <laughs> going on behind the scenes? Well, yeah, but, <laughs> I mean, think about it. Internally, they're still, up through April, they're still mixing Beatles songs for stereo mixes, for other stuff. So I'm not so sure anybody really knew the bombshell that Paul was about to drop on the world. Now, does anybody remember the... The concept of Alan Klein really being in the news related to the Beatles. Do we have reference made to Alan Klein from anywhere? Yeah, he's doing deals with United Artists and stuff. You always see there's like little bits and pieces of Alan Klein thing. You're talking this first quarter of the yeah. 1970? Yeah. yeah, like billboard references, I guess, and things like that probably, or well, like trade sure. stuff. Or... Well, Klein was the reason Hey Jude was released. Right. The contract with Capital was fixed, and they can put out compilations that hadn't happened before. Right, and as Chris is saying, that's right. You talking, Chris, about like the negotiations for Let It Be and for the soundtrack. Yeah, I mean that that's where his name was popping up in various little blurbs and things like that. He was doing negotiations at the time. Yeah, and to get that firmed up. For me, I said this on a prior show. When Hey Jude came out, I was eight years old, and that album showed the Beatles in 1969 from the Tittenhurst Park last photo shoot 
of I think what August of '69. Yeah, August twenty second. Yeah. yeah. So they show that, but then you have "Can't Buy Me Love," "Rain," "I Should Have Known Better," and I think I've told you guys that to an eight year old idiot who didn't realize what was going on, I thought the Beatles re-recorded those songs and they sounded exactly the same. That's I mean, how funny. silly is that? But you yeah. thought it was a strange album. These guys have really wide-ranging styles. <laughs> exactly, and, and they sounded just like in 1964, but they looked like rabbis. I mean, to me, you know, it's so funny when you watch Help and you see them all dressed up. You know, and John's in the wheelchair. They, John and George, just look the same as they did in 1969 and 19. You know, I, I, I can't believe you said that. When we did the Help show in our past life, I wanted to say that, and I didn't. I forgot because when I watched Help like a year ago with my kids, they when they were yeah. in the airport, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah I'm thinking oh, yeah. that was John them. And Abbey Road, there you go. Just yeah. make it beard uh, a little longer and, and yeah. have that jumpsuit. Yeah, but he actually had George's beard of 1971 on that. You know, yeah, yeah. Ringo that's actually right. looked the same as you know Ringo. Yeah, yep. Ringo yep. looked like he was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and Paul was the only one that just looked out of place. Right. Maybe he was dead then. It's William Campbell. Your William Campbell. A new clue. Yeah, really. Clue. So the first quarter gets really crazy, but everything is great. You know, Let It Be goes gold, and, and the Beatles are in the charts like crazy. So I know that Capital and Apple had a field day in the newspapers promoting all of the stuff. I remember that distinctly because when Hey Jude came out, there was full-page ads for Hey Jude, The Beatles Again, whatever you want to call it. So in our perception, when Paul came out on April 10th and McCartney comes out in the UK, and does anybody want to tell you what he did? Really? The nasty man. Well, it, we should say that that press release was only in Great Britain. It yes. wasn't released here. So it took a day, I guess, to travel over. And it said? He basically said, I'm, I'm not going to play with John and... Uh, George and Ringo anymore. And I'm not going to miss them either, yeah. which is even funnier. <laughs> but he never directly came out and said there was a breakup. No, no, no. no. Yeah, I think it's just to allude to everything. I mean, the short answer is pretty much, I think, sum up the future. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, people always say, well, do you think Paul was in his mind thinking it wasn't over and that he was going to record more? I think he was so, I don't know what you guys think. I think of all four Beatles, Paul was the one that really felt hurt by the whole thing. I mean, really yes. hurt, like, oh, in his yeah. heart. You know, whereas John, yep. we all know John's a kind of a cool character, and George is kind of sarcastic, and Ringo's Ringo. But Paul really, I think, felt like that was his family. And he was so hurt, that piece of paper, I think, you know, you have to read into it. Not just the words on the page. I oh, I fully read agree with you. The situation, like you were reading a book, and yeah. now you're at this chapter, and this letter, you know, this piece of paper is included in his first solo album. Yeah, <laughs> be- you know, in context, it says a lot more, I think. And definitely, I mean, Chris, if you go back and you like listen to, uh, and we make references to this stuff time and again here on Fab Four Free for All, but if you listen to things that have come out over the years, like the Day by Days or the <clears throat> gray area recordings, eh, the bootlegs, who are we kidding? Bootlegs, bootlegs, um, we love bootlegs. We like bootlegs. Uh, but if you listen to the stuff, especially the conversations with Paul that have shown up on some of the reels during some of those days, you definitely do hear that from an emotional standpoint, he was really thrown for a loop by all Well, it had us. to do with Alan Klein. It had to do with Klein, but and, it also and, had to do with the fact that his brother had pulled away from him. Yes. You know, yeah. as far as communications were concerned, his brother had pulled away from him. And, and, and was, also, you know, pulled away, like what you're saying about Klein, it was twofold because it was more, and I think in Paul's mind, the fact that his brothers, or, you know, and John in particular, the fact that he would side with this guy, Klein. It wasn't that John was saying to Paul, hey, I, I want to go against you. I think if Paul said from day one, Ike, I'm, I'm in with you guys. I love Klein. You know, there would have never been a problem. But right. the fact that Paul saw through it, and again, always, you know, proven correct right <laughs> no, you're at the right. end of the day by both parties right george and john right end up you know we know the story so paul you know in hindsight was right but the fact that john would side with this criminal in paul's eyes over him after all those years and you know all the memories and all the history that this guy who john barely knew you know they knew him from the stones or whatever and the kind of guy klein was the fact that he would side and they would all side with this guy <laughs> i think yeah. also blew paul's mind in a big way you know so it was kind of twofold you know and you're right though you do read that <clears throat> press release and the fact that paul is I don't know if glib is the right word, but it's just, he's so curt. That's probably the right way to put it. It's almost like to and me that he doesn't want to give the full story Well, he doesn't want right to give away. the full story. And also, I think it was almost that whole, right now, man, I just don't want to be bothered. And, and the truth is, let's face it, if six months later, 
his point of view changed, and he wanted to get back together with him, and everything was swept under the carpet, and John apologized, and Klein was out, and everything changed. You know what? It's not like the press would say, well, Paul, you said. Right. You know, they wouldn't have given a damn, great, the Beatles are back, wonderful. But to be so curt like that, and just right. do those glib he answers. He was hurt because he was hurt. Except <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> but if you but think it, of- it, it also slammed the door. It also slammed the door on the press to come back at him and say, well, but Paul, what do you mean? Right. Do you mean that, you know, no, screw it. Just say no. And then if I change my mind or if John allows the door to be opened again later. I always fine. thought that but, Paul was hurt in the April 10th notice, so to speak. But at the end of the year, when he sues the rest of them, then... Everything came out. Now, there. have you guys, and I know you probably have, have you ever gotten a copy of uh, the High Court Justice, uh, the, the actual James Paul McCartney versus John Ono Lennon, George Harrison, and Rick Tarkey? It's it's about nine pages. It's the whole thing. It's in Paul's words, though, of the whole the plaintiff versus defendant. Right. Yeah. It, he, it's his deposition. Yeah. And and when you read that, I mean, you, you realize how intensely upset he was over the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, because there's still... hear a about l- it, but this is like in his words, you know? Yeah, there's a lot what? of emotion in it. I I gotta, think, uh, yeah. yeah, but I got to be honest with you. Paul, I love the way when you said he was hurt because he was hurt, but that's very true, but that always is Paul. Think about it. Even in 1980, John Lennon is killed, his brother, mm. yeah. and he says yeah. it's a drag, man. Very yeah. curt because, you know, he didn't know what to say, and he's hurt there too. So he has a habit of not really handling the press maybe as well as he could. Which is shocking considering how we think of Paul overall. Well, well no, you would think of Paul as always doing the thumbs up and saying, you know, the same exact story every time about yeah, but you this know, is a ser- getting better. This is a serious point in Paul's life, you know, 70 and 80. These are serious points. This isn't like... Oh, Paul, tell us about when you wrote Getting Better, and Paul would pull out the story. Well, you know, I said it's getting better, and John said it can't get no worse. You know, this is real life, so to speak. This is life-changing. Yeah, in both those situations. So I think that's why uh, maybe it it sounded that way. Yeah, maybe, but I'll tell you right now, George Harrison, on April 25th, 1970, was interviewed in New York by a radio station. And it's so surprising to read that interview because this is now 15 days after Paul made his comments that the world hears that, you know, the Beatles are no more for now, or at least Paul's not with the Beatles right now, and he's releasing a solo album. George is asked a lot about the Beatles in this interview because he's just going to go start recording All Things Was Passed in London when he goes back in a couple of days. So he's asked, you think the Beatles would get together again? Point blank. A very, very, very... Interesting answer, and I have to read the whole thing. It's about five lines long, so please indulge me. But I think it really adds to this discussion. He says, I couldn't tell you, you know, if they will or not. I'll certainly try my best to do something with them again, you know. I mean, it's only a matter of accepting that the situation is a compromise. In a way, it's a compromise, and it's a sacrifice. Because all we have to do is sacrifice a little in order to gain something really big, and there is a big gain by recording together which is very astute, by the way, but he goes on to say, I think musically and financially and also spiritually and for the rest of the world, I think that Beatle music is such a big sort of scene that I think it's the least we could do is to sacrifice three months of the year at least to do an album or two. I think it's very selfish if the Beatles don't record together. That's very, very weird to hear from George. It's weird and it's profound, but you know what, too? In the same way, it's just a long-winded version of saying, you're staying on the f***ing label, Hare Krishna. Yeah, I know. You know, it's... Are we going to have to beep you for that Yes, now? we're going to have to okay, beep you good. for that. But the thing is, in a way, it's George's very... Diplomatic? Mm, diplomatic way of, I won't say attacking Paul, but when you say making some small sacrifices... Well, I know what he means. But the small sacrifice it's that at that really. time... John and George and Ringo were still convinced was the small sacrifice to just accept Alan Klein. Yeah, that's not exactly. You know, it was. It's just sort of body of Klein. But you know, you, it's kind of like you're really bringing Alan Klein in. He's not talking about music per se. Right. Yeah, right. Right. He's I understand. alluding to the you know business side of things. But I've never heard George say in any real interview, even before he passed, I never heard him really say that. It's almost like the Beatles, 
because they're so big that they owe the world another album or two. And we can do it, whatever that sacrifice may be. We can handle it to make some more music because we should for the world. That is very odd for him to say, especially in 70, because he's about to regurgitate three albums worth of his own stuff. That he had been held that back. That he had been held back. Yeah, was, and I think also, though, you know, I think George felt like he was not in a position either way to make it happen or not happen. He knew he wasn't driving the Beatle train, per se, if anybody, you know, John and Paul had to make the call and Alan Klein and the Eastmans. So George, I think, in a very laid-back, philosophical way, is trying to give the right answer because he knows he's staying with Klein. So he probably, they're all saying, you know what, don't rock the boat, guys, even though John would later rock the boat heavily. Any interviews you see with George, he's always been pretty much... He got soured on the Beatles as time went on, but he was always pretty in the middle, you know? I don't, he never really said anything shocking, you know? That's the most shocking thing, the thing that he, he'd say. That's that true. We want really to keep true. it together. That, that's kind of uh, surprising. Well, at one point, George had said, you know, once I'm done with this, maybe I can go back, we can go back. You hey, know, don't forget, George, is at, George is also at his cockiest because... Yeah, he's right. been hanging around Bob Dylan for a year and a half. He's hanging around his buddy Eric Clapton. He's got Derek Delaney and Bonnie. soon to be yeah, oh. lined up in the studio with Phil Spector. So he's like, hey, you know, <laughs> he, he saw the future. You know, he saw he knew what the next 12 months were going to be. And, and you have so. to wonder, too, I guess, you know, in a way, Chris, that Ringo had just released a solo album. About to release Maybe About You Don't to Come release, Easy. Right. John had done a few projects on the side. So, okay, man, here was George, as Chris was saying, about to drop this incredible bomb on the world of a fantastic record. He had this wonderful project lined up. Well, then, sure, he could figure out, I can do that, and then step back into the Beatle project, just the way John did with the stuff that he's done. Yeah, I think he was in a great place. I mean, if you ever pick a time that George Harrison's head was in a great place, 1970 was... It's true. But there was a certain nervousness (laughs) about... When was the right take, and how many more overdubs do we have to oh, do? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, I mean, know? as far as his confidence in the studio as to when a track was finished. Yeah, that's, yeah. Oh, that's another story. Yeah, another see story. not guilty. <laughs> see not guilty. Yeah. No, well, right. I want Asterisk. Add, I want to add something to what Mitch was saying, and actually I think it, this is from the same interview. It was with Howard Smith, not Howard K. Smith, Howard Smith at WPLJ. Mm-hmm. And it, the quote is, it is because it's on such a personal level that it's a big problem, you know. When I go home at night... I'm not living there with Alan Klein, whereas in a way, Paul's living with the Eastmans. It's not really between Paul and us, you know. It's between right. Paul, Paul's advisors, who are the Eastmans, and our business advisors, which is Alan Klein. But that's all right. right. So, it's, so he was sort yeah. of depersonalizing it, meaning yeah. making it more of a business than making right. it about but it's kind battle of, of brothers. It's kind of interesting that we've always heard Paul talk and still get angry about Alan Klein. If you remember the Larry King interview a few years ago to promote love— he couldn't mention his name. He's yeah, like, he's he still... will not be spoken. Yeah, and spoken. here we're seeing George talking about the Eastmans, who were actually pretty good uh, lawyers in their own right, In their own too. right, yeah. Well, and I, so I would love to know why they couldn't trust Paul to bring in the Eastmans and where the, because, the line got drawn, so to speak. Because by bringing in the Eastmans, no matter how good the Eastmans were as attorneys, it's that idea that... If I came no, to like you, it's like bringing guys. in the law firm of Ono and Company. Exactly right. <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, guys, listen, I got this great law firm that's going to represent Fab Four Free for All. It's Triguardo, 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 and Smith. You know, I mean, <laughs> let's see how that goes. You yeah, know, I mean, I'm exactly. sorry, I don't go with you. Well, and, and Mitch and I start a new show. <laughs> there you go. And, but that's the what I mean. Us. You know, it's it's. <laughs> sorry. Very nice. <laughs> but but there's part of it too is is that. Um, you know, going back to what you said about, about George's comment there about owing the world a, another Beatle record. Again, I keep going back to this one, and I wish I could play a segment of it, this bit of Paul talking about what he feels is the impending breakup of the Beatles to Michael Lindsay Hogg during the courting of Let It Be. And at one point, he and Linda get into this very heated, not heated, but they get into this very passionate conversation about, you know, the Beatles are the most important communication tool the world has ever seen. And that also, too, from a personal level, I think it was devastating Paul McCartney to step away from that. And great, his new album is coming out. But I've got to tell you, as much confidence and as much as he enjoyed the music that he made on McCartney and he made it on his own and et cetera, et cetera, without a doubt, there was something in the back of Paul McCartney's mind that had to know, not even in the back, in the forefront, this is not the kind of statement that gets made when I am with 
the other three members of the group. But I, I think he purposely did that. You do? Yes. I, I, listen, by 1970, if Paul McCartney doesn't know the difference between yesterday, hey Jude, and Jumped. not his son, okay, right. he, knows, you know, he knows Valentine's Day. He know, you know what I mean? He knows that. He knows yeah. that. This was his little indie if there was at the time. That's, <laughs> That's true. Paul's independent record. It's like, this is my home garage, and I'm Paul McCartney of the Beatles. Fuck you, I'm not putting a single out. Right. Maybe I'm amazed, yeah, it's on this album, but no, nope, not going to do it. He had, weird as it might have been, looking back historically, in his mind, I think he knew just what he was doing. Otherwise, he wouldn't have put it out. And again, he knows what he's doing. He knows the, the, king of, the king of pop songwriting. He's well aware that Karina Kaur is not going to be on the radio. But he's, he, this is what I'm saying. I think it was a planned thing, just like the letter, the whole thing. He, he wasn't trying to impress the other Beatles with these songs. So you I think, think in a way, it was subconsciously, was it an intentional break? Yeah, it was I'm just, getting I'm the hell make, away from... He wanted to make a record to show he wasn't in the Beatles because he was very, very hurt, I think, at the time. And crazy as it all was, that's the piece of product we got. When Ram came out, I think that's the opposite. That's right. the conscious effort to say, okay, I'm going to put strings, make real music. This is what I, you know, if Ram was his debut album different story. But I think he knew that, you know, it's like, everybody's like, Oh, Paul, that really, record's not that strong, McCartney. Well, yeah, I think we all know that, including Paul. Interesting. <laughs> you know? Interesting. That's well, very well put. On that note, we are going to take a break right now on the Fab Four Free For All with our special guest panelist, Chris Carter of Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius XM and KLOS 95.5. We are going to continue talking about the year 1970 right after this. Hi, this is Tony Chiguardo of Fab Four Free For All. We have been delighted by the response to the show, and uh, after tracking the show, we realize that we are being heard in over 40 countries, and we are so glad that so many of you have been sending emails, posting to Facebook, and responding positively to the things that we do on Fab Four Free For All. But we would love to be heard by more fans out there. So... We are asking you, our faithful listeners, if you would kindly pass along the information about Fab Four Free For All and what we do to two of your fellow Beatle fan friends. If you could guide them to our iTunes page, we would be delighted. And if there's a local station in your area that you think would be interested in carrying a Beatles-related program like Fab Four Free For All, please pass the contact information over to us here at Fab Four Free For All. We would love to be able to be heard on an FM station in your area. Thanks for listening. And we are back talking about the year 1970 with our special guest, Chris Carter, host of Breakfast with the Beatles. And we were talking a little bit before the break about Paul McCartney sort of consciously putting out something that was so far away removed from the Beatles. I want to just add one thing, and I think I might have said it in our past incarnation, but it bears repeating. You can tell me I'm wrong, which you often do. I want to just put it out there for you. I think he didn't put out singles, so to speak, from that album, because he knew that he was a, a real bastard to the other Beatles about the whole McCartney Let It Be release date. Right. So I think Paul McCartney knew that his two songs... Let It Be, and The Long and Winding Road were going to be in pending singles anyway. So he didn't want to compete with himself because now the Beatles are way bigger than Paul McCartney at that point. And if he puts out Maybe I'm Amazed. Absolutely. And then they put out Let It Be and Long and Winding Road, as good as Maybe I'm Amazed is, because, you know, he didn't put it out till 77 for the live version. But if you put it out in 1970 against yourself, it would have gotten buried. That's a really good point. Absolutely. Absolutely. He knew it. Because don't forget, you know, Let It Be, I mean, when did that come out? Middle of March, right? Yeah. So Let It Be single, middle of March, Long and Winding Road was like May. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do you top those? Not a lot of time. Let It Be was still on the charts, the single. So crazy. And we all know Linda sings on that, right? On Let, on it, let be. it Be. Yeah, yeah I yeah, think that's funny. Well, Lord knows if you watch John on that track, he doesn't. He's how about John's bass playing on the Long and Winding Road? Oh, God help us. <laughs> huh? 
God he help us. He with his left foot. Well, that's unbelievable. <laughs> I didn't know Daniel Day was uh, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel Day-Lewis, Day-Lewis yeah. was actually playing on that. That is the worst bass playing on any Beatles record ever. Yep, I will agree with that whole. And part. some yeah. people have said that the reason, one of the reasons, Spec to put on all those strings is to cover the bass. To cover the to bass. Cover the bass. Yeah. You know, while you're putting on all those strings, just get someone to play something representing. You know, just bring in Clapton. Wait, like Paul? You can't have Paul do bass on his own song. Yeah, Paul John's overdub. So they weren't involving Paul very much on the long winding road. I know, but you know what? Uh, John was, you know, doing drugs and Yoko, and and I'm sorry, but they could have actually asked Paul, hey, can you uh, just... Yeah, could you imagine if they in. treated Paul nicely and they kind of included him? What would that conversation have been if Phil Spector said, hey, Paul, how you doing? You know, listen, I'd love for you to come down here and work with me on this song, but I bet you Paul would come right down. I bet you Paul would have drove right down. Oh. And, and you know? he would have loved his version with the chorus. Right. No, right. no way. Right. I, if, uh, if Phil Spector called Paul up, I think Paul would have shown up with a, one of Phil's guns no, and then shot him. Depending why, though. The, Paul only got mad at Phil because of the position he was put in. Yes. I'm saying right. from, the, yes. from the get-go, if right. someone said to him, like, gentlemen, instead of keeping it a secret from him, right. in other words, when George, Ringo, and John all decided Phil was the man, after what, what was his audition was Instant Karma, right? That yeah, was Phil. Yeah. Yeah. It was Phil's audition. Yeah. So once that decision was made, if someone would have included Paul, who knows how history would have turned but out. The Maybe fun- he would have been flattered. But the funny Maybe. part of it is, you know, when you think about it, I don't even necessarily think, and I don't know what you guys would say, but I don't think that had anything to do with the other three Beatles putting any pressure on anything. I think the fact was that Paul, at that time, was the only one who really could have kind of bucked up against Phil. Phil is such a maniac and such a control freak that John was kind of smacked out of his mind or whatever. They sent Ringo you know, to straighten out Phil. Right, <laughs> right exactly. Uh, Ringo, yeah. we need you to go down the studio. Phil's getting a little out of hand, okay? Okay, peace they, and, they, and they sent him to straighten out Paul, too, yeah, and no then, less. And then we got to take Ringo. over to Paul's house and tell him the record. He can't put his record out till later, all right, Ringo? And then... The garbage in the kitchen needs to be put out. No, no. Okay. R- Ringo's the muscle. Ringo's yeah, the muscle yeah, of the Beatles. Ringo's the muscle. He's the little Steven. He yeah. comes over for his... Uh, he wears a fedora hat with a little no, feather in it. Can you imagine that scene? Dante. Can you imagine that scene right now? Ringo going up and going, Hey, Paul. Peace and poof, that door just and shuts right in his face, man. <laughs> right in his face. But, 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 with the peace and love. But I'm still thinking that, you know, if any of the other three Beatles really would have been in a position to exert anything on Phil, really. Phil would have shut the doors, you know, yeah. shut the doors on them too. But, you know, he would never have picked up the phone and been the gentleman and said, hey, Paul, do you want to? Because Paul was the only one who still had his wits about him really enough. George kind of was, you know, as Chris is saying, it's true. George is off ready to go take on the world with this great new with piece he was putting songs, together. With 70,000, yeah. Paul could have actually gone in and and kind of given Phil a, a hard time once he got his foot in the door. Right. So I think that's you're what, right. Yeah, what it's twofold why Paul wasn't included. Yeah. Though. One is an Alan Klein reason, and the other right. one is forget. You think he's tough with George Harrison? <laughs> but but you know what that means, guys. In the long run, we wouldn't have had let it be naked. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mind let it be what naked. Thoughts, Shut up. No. What are the thoughts around the table, Tony Robin bitch on let it be naked? Yes, no, yes. I yes. think they should yes. have called it let it be filtered. I, I never have a problem with it because my answer is always, well, what's the problem with the Beatles and Billy Preston? That's all it is. It's just the Beatles and Billy Preston. Why? Well, I, I had I, a I couple of problems. My what? only problem was that first of all, they didn't say where some of the edits were. Right. That's Second of all, right, I yeah. thought the original rooftop version. Uh, for one after 909 was better than the sort of the edited version they used for Let It Be Naked. What about and, the chopped I Got a Feeling? Oh, chopped in half. That. Yeah, yeah, that. And also, Ooh, the thing I never understood is if you're going to do the F- Spectre edits of I Me Mine, why do you take the coder off of Get Back? And right, it just right. sort of fades. I mean, yeah, yeah, that is the weirdest. That was the yeah. weirdest part of the whole thing. I also didn't like the fact that if you're going to put out a second disc, oh god, make it more than twenty minutes, <laughs> and something will listen to more and, than once. Yeah. Well, and, give me give me some banding. You know, yes. that, that that straight like oh, I oh. like it. Eleven minutes and twenty two seconds. <laughs> yeah. There's a great little uh, edit of you know, go find that. You know. Yeah. Like, well, so that's the, the problem. Yeah, it's great for. Radio I just people. pass on the whole thing, man. I just I just wanted complete takes. You had. 500 reels worth of stuff to pick for a man. And Give they picked almost everything takes. the same thing. Right. Do you guys have the uh, 88 disc set of Let It Be? Yeah. Are yeah. you oh, kidding? Yeah. I think there's like 188 discs <laughs> No, it's, now. A, it's 88. I know it yeah. is. 
<laughs> you mean the 30 days or day? 30, no, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's 312 days. days. No, it's day by day. I know. And then it's the, the, then it's uh, real by real. Anyway. the thing well, I did like about Let It Be Naked also was the editing of Don't Let Me Down, which John was convenient enough to do screwing up the yeah, vocals in two yeah. different places. Well, the only thing that was I, nice. The only thing I will say about that, the only thing I really love about Let It Be Naked... Across the universe. Well, no, that's also really good. That though. is the, but, that's that the best love. thing but on there. to me, Don't Let Me Down is the three-part harmony. Right. Yeah. Which you need. If you yeah. hear that on the roof, you wanted that on the record. And to me, we finally got that. But yeah. that's not enough. I also think, honestly, Chris, when they put it out, it was really not a smart move to call it Let It Be Naked because... It a wasn't of, naked. No, well, right. first, well, first of all, it wasn't naked. It could have been called Let It Be Stripped Down, just like right. John did. But I really think, and, and I've heard this, a lot of the older people didn't buy it for their grandkids and their kids because they had the word naked. Now, I'm not saying that's good or not, but marketing-wise, it was right. a foolish move. Right. I think if you're going to do that, call it Get Back. I say just call it know. Four Virgins. Oh, shut <laughs> up. I only liked it for sonic reasons for a radio show. Because when you have a radio clean. show, it's nice to be able to pop it on just sonically to get the well, that's punch true. that that's lacks true. in the other right. one. There's a, there is a certain production value from 19, whatever the year it came yeah. out. Uh, like that led it, like that yellow submarine song track. Yes. Oh, came don't out get us started. Band. We like that. Don't oh, get us started. We want oh. the whole catalog remix. But anyway, oh. yeah. let's Sorry. get back to 1970 <laughs> because I have another question to pose to you, all of you, and I really want to hear your opinion because I've I've just thought of this because I'm that kind of guy. I don't usually have thoughts. Usually that's my say. thing. I, I just know. thought of something. Well, you're Columbo. One, just one more thing. <laughs> one man. more thing, man. So, you know, and the show ends and he's like, wait a minute. It does another 20 minutes. Hey. Um, my big question is, let it be the movie comes out in New York May 18th, okay? Let it be the movie has always been perceived as the documentary about the Beatles breaking up, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. If Paul did not come out in the press in April and say the Beatles are no longer, and let it be came out as a movie, does it have the same perception as it does now? That because it was a the, movie about the Beatles breaking up. Chris, yeah, you go the first. Beatles, the Beatles would not have been breaking up in the eyes of the public because there the would be no announcement. Made, yes. But the movie comes out just one month later after the, Paul announces the Beatles, for all intents and purposes, were breaking up. And so now the public now sees the riffs in the studio. Right, so it's and in instead their of mind. just a happy fan, yeah, okay. it's in their mind. So okay. would it have had the same perception? I never saw it as a movie about the Beatles breaking up. I saw it was... The reason I love 1970 was because it was the first year I really kind of was a part of every single thing from Instant Karma to Mother that year. I bought every record. I was 10 and 11. So when I saw the movie in the movies, I never got that feeling like, you know, I'm watching a movie about the Beatles broken up. Knowing, not knowing, it never made me think one way or the other. So I say it wouldn't have... I look at it that way now because I still know they had Abbey Road to record, you well, know. So yeah, the Beatles you know, really didn't break up, so it's like it's right. like a right. long off, like a year off still. That's right. true, but you know what? Because it was announced and because it came out in 1970, right? And also, right? But do you think of it that way? Do you think of it? You're watching a band break up when I, you watch that movie. I think I, they're well, on the roof having a ball. From whatever I could see through the grain, no. I think darkness. I think for me, honestly, I mean, you have to figure that Abbey Road was already out. I mean, I know for me, it took until much later in my life as a Beatle fan to know, to know that Abbey Road had been yeah. recorded after, after right. Let It Be. Right. So from the public perspective, I think to me, it would have been a very confusing documentary. I think the way I would have as a fan looked at it was the rooftop would have been like like a moment of redemption in what was otherwise a very, very tired band. I think what I would have looked at it as would have been Holy crap, how did they ever get from that miserable, we could barely bang two rocks together to make a coherent line of music for 70 minutes to, hey, nice gig up on the roof, kids. You know, I think had I been old enough to to watch it in the movie theater and and if the thought in my mind was, oh, the Beatles are still going to go on and make more records. I may have thought to myself, wow, the Beatles really are amazing characters that they can get through that kind of dredge for all that time that they were making this movie and making this and then bang come out with these finished songs you have to obviously not just include the roof but you have to include the let it be right and the long and winding road segment and say you know wow i think that at the time people knew that there was a problem with 
Get Back Then Let It Be project. It had been reported many places. Yes, Rolling, Stone Rolling Stone was, was on yeah. it. Yeah. So I think if, if Paul hadn't announced it and then you saw the movie, you'd probably say, well, geez, I think they're going to break up soon. Even though they had put out Abbey Road afterwards, and even though, for at least in America, Hey Jude was released, you think it's a new release because there are a lot of stuff on there that had never been on well, an LP. Well, do you think Hey Jude, I mean, I can't remember when it comes to the history of releases, would Hey Jude have kind of sparked some thought too because now you're all of a sudden seeing a, a compilation? You right. know what I mean? Right. Like an, like an end of career retrospective. No, I would, kind of I would have been happy that Hey Jude was on a record. That's what I always right. thought. Right. Well, I don't think, you know, this is all great questions, and I think it's all at the age you're looking at it and how you're perceiving it, you know? I mean, we're saying we're all kids, so as kids, you perceive it this way. If you were really a Beatle fan, like, look how we are now, right? Imagine there was some guy who's 22 years old that's a Beatle fan when Let It Be comes out. He really knows what's going on with the Beatles month to month. He really knows what albums are coming out when Abbey Road is recorded in the summer of 69. That's so, true. In the right. perspective of a real hardcore fan at the time, Mr. Martin Lewis or some crazy guy like that, oh, you know, it depends how you're perceiving it, you know, I think. I think a lot of people aren't paying attention uh, like we do. They see a Beatle album in the, you know, their Sears or wherever, they buy their records and they're like, oh, a new Beatle record. Oh, look at this. Look at they have beards. Oh, wow. You know, they're not really putting it in context the way we I do. Guess you're That's right. true. But yeah, then again, really the end of Let It Be, the concert on, on the rooftop, and then John says, I hope we pass the audition, and then it ends. It's fun. That's it's, fun. It comes yeah. across, at least that in part, last 25 minutes, as really, really cool. And a little bit rejuvenating in a way. And it's it's yeah. such a, a depressing opening thirty minutes. <laughs> thirty minutes? Well, what, it's an eighty-eight minute movie, and eighty of them aren't. The, well, well, I'm no, sorry, the, the twenty minutes. Right, is the they just gave Mal a broom in the beginning and let him just like do some sweeping. You know, <laughs> it's so like tires. Like, oh my god, what a way to kick off a movie! But yeah. can I tell you Rolling one thing? A though, drum. I, I also think it's the way, and we'll get to this when we do our whole let it be movie thing, but. I really think it's the way they put the movie together because knowing what we know now in hindsight, when you see the video clips, the outtakes of video and audio, you know all of it's on film. They're having genuine fun that is not included in the movie. I think if we would have included more of that in the movie, it could have been a different cut. I also think that because it wasn't shot to be a movie movie when I first was shooting it, mm -hmm. there's a lot of breakup scenes, yes. you know, it's not yeah. breakup scenes, but scenes that were just sort of shot as B-roll, and I think that's part of it, too. They had all these, if they had shot like a real movie, like a making of an album type of thing, you would have had probably more cameras, you probably would have had better presentation, so to speak. Or maybe some actors. Well, <laughs> that could, that could have, they could have recreated... <laughs> Their mind dreams, like in Yoko a, in the bed, but, but a song remains the same or something. But you know, truthfully, I think part of it, and again, we can we'll go into this in more depth when we talk about Let It Be the movie. And you know, when you talk about Michael Lindsay Hogg as a director, I think part of the issue was that Michael was really given all access, obviously, and he was given exposure to everything. When there is that scene with Paul actively talking with Linda about the breakup. I mean, really, it's what he's talking about, about about the final moments of the Beatles. And he's he's even proposing to Michael Lindsay Hogg a way that they can shoot it. So with that, the problem was you now had Michael Lindsay Hogg going in to do the editing on the movie, maybe with this doom and gloom in the back of his mind already. If Michael Lindsay Hogg was going into the movie with a different approach and saying, oh, I've just shot a film of the Beatles putting an album together. Great. Well, by the time he got around actually doing the cutting to making the movie, he was already kind of filled with the idea that he was capturing them. But think about it. If, if you, let's say you didn't have any of the Twicken and stuff, and you just had the part at Apple and the part on the rooftop. Completely different it's movie. It's a whole different movie. Let me yep. ask you a question. You don't ever see George leaving the Beatles, all right? Because he writes in the diary, left the Beatles. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> left had, the Beatles, had went tea, for lunch. Yeah, had tea, well, left the Beatles. <laughs> No, but I mean, you don't see that. Sued the wife. <laughs> yeah, but you don't see that. No, that's Dick. Right. You don't see him leaving. But you do see Paul and him having a fight. What if they don't put that fight scene in? Does it change the movie without those two minutes? By the way, yep. I always thought that fight scene was 
a pretty weak fight. Oh, me too. I mean, but I have, it's perceived. I have, wor- I have worse words with the guy at McDonald's than I. You know what I mean? It's just like that was you talk too? about. A, you know, they're so polite. Yeah, I won't play on. You know, it's like <laughs> that's a fight. It's I know, so but it's perceived as because it was on it's film. No, it's perceived as a this you huge, know, rap, horrible but, but, encounter. Right. But the fun part of it is that when you hear the "I'll play whatever you want me to yeah. play" or "I won't play," it's really just. Essentially, just you wanna... f- you with longer words. It was like, I, think I think every sentence George ever said was like that. I bet you, if you film the Beatles recording the White Album, I bet you could find a hundred days of that. You know? Yeah, okay, great. F- you. You, know, you don't think that happened? Of course it did. You, you oh, are you foul, kidding me? You. Listen, I, mean, I think if, was... you, if, if you filmed the Beatles doing Taxman, where Paul said, come on already, I'll do the damn solo, because you cannot mm. get it. Right. Oh George is probably right. like, you know, F you again, you know? Yeah, but I mean, go do it and he went I'll do it Indian just for you oh cool right. that that's was the fine. kindest that was the kindest fight you know uh, un- yeah. uh, unless also if you think about it, it and it's sometimes we get this with the Beatles it's, it's such a compressed time Hey Jude was done six months earlier less than six months earlier and George wanted to do a certain type of guitar fill and Paul sure. said no sure. and so now this is almost like a response to that maybe then that's exactly what it then is yeah. anything yeah. that's happening in the, in the movie or the recording right you know, and it's you know it was recorded when Hey Jude was recorded in August '68. This is January '69, so right. we're talking five months. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. right. So now, now a whole bunch of stuff happens after uh, Let It Be is released in May, including Delaney and Bonnie on tour comes out. Most people don't know that George is involved in that, so it's not like a solo project, so to speak. Even though to George it was a live piece in Toronto is still in the charts. Still some, on the charts. Somehow, I don't understand. There's a bunch of other stuff happening. Now, the one thing I wanted to say was in their personal lives, a whole bunch of stuff was happening that I think also could have maybe made the Beatles come to a halt. And I don't mean a finish, but a a break, you know, like a kiss where they do solo albums and then come back. But (laughs) stop it. I'm not going to sing back in the New York groove, okay? That's the only thing to sing. Uh, Well, and when you wish wish upon a star, thank you. Thank you, Gene Simmons. No, you're welcome. But some things happen. Cynthia remarries. Now, I don't think John cared, but other things happen. Yoko suffers the miscarriage because John and Yoko did announce to the world that they were going to be having a son. So now all of a sudden things happen in personal lives which maybe take precedence over the business. Lee Starkey is born toward the end of the year. It's different things that I don't know. You know, we always say, how come the Beatles broke up? You know, and don't say women, you know, thank you, Mick Jagger and the Ruttles. But things do happen in life that have to put things on hold. It's just a fact. Do you think maybe some of these personal things happening could have maybe broken or at least severed the Beatles a little more at the time, kept it down longer than maybe it, if I, the Beatles could have gotten together? I think what, what happens is, is that they've all gone sort of an individual way. They're all married now, and I think... It just sort of turns into the fact, well, you know, John's with Yoko, and that's all he cares about. Well, that was for a while. Yeah, they just had the miscarriage. I think you sort of gather what you have, and you go back to your home and... Two things toward the end of the year. I know we're moving on because... A lot of Come stuff. Come on, let's get to all things must pass. I'm Come doing on, guys, it right now, will you? Nothing happened in the summer of 19. Nothing happened, I know. Yoko, Yoko suffered the miscarriage, but anyway. That, that's a sad thing. I mean, you know. Oh, it is the, a very the, sad thing, but, you know, I, I, she records it on tape. You know, where, oh, Forget it. That's anyway, a different story. That's a different story. But here's weird stuff. Within two weeks of each other. Because that wasn't weird stuff? Sorry. Stop anyway. it. Sorry. Within two weeks of each other, two major Beatles solo albums come out. Now, obviously, the first one being All Things Was Passed in the UK came out November 30th. And just two weeks later, less than two weeks later, John Lennon comes out with Plastic Ono Band. They're both on Apple, so they both know when they're coming out. Right. I mean, talk about competing against each other. But I think at that point, the world didn't know that All Things Was Passed was going to be the phenomenon it was. And also, I think at that point, by the end of the year, people were starting to realize that the Beatles are, are not really going to be together for that much longer, if any at all. And I think they welcomed any and every Beatle product out there. I'm going to just ask this because I don't know if it's in your timeline or if no, it, it's but not. Was My Sweet Lord a leadoff single? Yes. Yes, it okay. was. So in yes, a way- it was. Four it, days before in the U.S. Yeah. Only four days before? I think the 23rd, it came out as a single, 27th, the album, and then the wow. U.K., yeah. 
So in a way, yeah, you're right. The world was not prepared for it to then to be the. And I'm not so sure because my sweet lord, I've, if it was a few weeks in advance, then maybe they would have been ready. But even with my sweet lord being lead off, if, even if it was six months in advance, I'm not so sure the world was ready for a spiritual George three albums worth. Really, <laughs> think about they it. were right. Well, they well, were, but 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 I think they were. Again, I think it was because the Beatles were no more, and there was so it was jacked a up. weird time, though, right, guys? Yeah. I mean, don't forget, right? It's like Jesus Christ superstar time. I don't, mean, for that's some a good right. point. Time that was accepted into the was the rock melding with the religion. Remember, it was like a weird religion rock thing. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, no, that's you're really right. True. George that's really was true. right there, and he was cool. So maybe it was cool. You know, Godspell was about. The, it was yeah, the age yeah, of Aquarius. It was, just, it was very. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was a big, big kind of. Production. But, but it's so oh. weird. You said perfect words there to segue. Big production. George Harrison's album is big production. John Lennon's two weeks later is about as sparse as you can get. Same the guy. total opposite. And same guy. Same yeah, guy. wow, that's right. Go you know figure. What's interesting, right? What's interesting? George, as we all know, regrets all the reverb and echo. Why, yeah. You know, right? We just found that out. Well, uh, did you guys ever hear the All Things Must Pass interview disc? The one uh, that you did? Yeah. I have it. He goes on and on. Oh, my God. He wants to yeah. redo the record. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and listen to the control John had for the first time ever. For the first time ever, and I don't think ever after that, Phil Spector is told what to do. I yeah. mean, when you listen to Cold Turkey, right, that record has the exact same production, not produced by Phil Spector, as does the Plastic Ono band, which means John's like, listen, None of your wall of sound, none of your big drums. I want dry drums, dry. Everything is stripped down. And Phil listened to him for the first time. Frightening. <laughs> and he did listen to George. When George was like too much, George would come in, they'd laugh at the track. He'd come in and Phil would have all the reverb on Wawa and stuff. And they'd go, what? Are you kidding? Well, you know, I have to wonder whether on the back of Phil's mind it was, ah, what the hell does he know? That's just George. Right? No, exactly. I was going to just yeah. say that. That's yeah. exactly the way Phil was. He, you know, John Lennon tells Phil to sit on his head. He will. You know, and it's George, George is kind of <laughs> like, you know. And then Phil kind of bailed on the sessions anyway. Yeah, I was going to say <laughs> right. that Phil was on yeah. both George and John's albums, disappeared for yeah, several middle. weeks. He <laughs> comes back with mixing notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was it. Which so, was so crazy. So maybe Spectre didn't deserve the credit that he got on it. Well, like everything with Phil, right? I mean, it was such a short stint. I mean, you got to give Phil credit for one thing. I mean, obviously, All Things Must Pass is a great record. You have to give him his credit where his credit's due. It's a great record. But Phil really, the Imagine album, you know, skipping ahead a year, is really a perfect combination of Phil and John's getting his way and Phil getting half his way. Yeah, that's that, really you know, true. There's yeah. a great sounding record. That could be one of Phil's finest moments. You listen to Jealous Guy, you go, wow, that guy really, that's a real solid recording there, you know? Yeah. And the Plastic yeah. Band is, is unique to itself, but it's an interesting thing how that works. Could I, could I just mention one funny story that I just read in Ken Scott's book? And I think you just had Ken Scott on, right? I did. Um, <laughs> but I want to just tell one story that I thought was the funniest story in the world about All Things Was Pass. For years, Phil Collins always said he was on All Things Was Pass. And George was like, well, I don't remember. Nobody remembered. Ken Scott didn't remember him being on the session. And it wasn't credited. And it was just, you know, he said, oh, yeah, one day you called me in and, we, and I was just playing the tablas or whatever I was playing, the congas, right? Congas. And they all went, what? So George, in his infinite wisdom and humor, had Ray Cooper come in and record crappy, crappy congas. <laughs> And then called Phil over and said, we found your sessions. <laughs> and he said, here you go. And he played it. And, he, and Phil was like mortified that he played such crappy congas. That was and, great. I mean, how funny is that? That George would go through the lengths George of having Ray record the whole thing just to make fun. He's of, so wonderfully twisted. Oh, my I God. I love George, I read man. that story and I said, I, I miss him. Oh, yeah, really that's do. great. <laughs> All right. So now Plastic Ono Band comes out and it's so John. And when I say so, John, because at the end of the year, we know what comes out, right? Right. John Lennon's Rolling Stone interview, all right? Which, I mean, talk about censoring. I couldn't yeah. play it on this radio. I yeah. resent performing for you. Tell me what do you know? A lot of. Sorry. Shut up. <laughs> it's Magical Misery Tour, I man. I know what it is. Does John get co writing credit for that? I don't, <laughs> I don't think know, so. man. That's the National Tony Hendra, I just want to just hug him yeah. for that, man. Yeah, yeah. that is actually oh. pretty funny. That If you haven't heard that, 
Tony, it's yeah, I'll explain National what that Lampoon. is. National Lampoon on, on an album called, um, uh, I can't remember what it originally Lemmings. appeared on. Lemmings. Lemmings. Uh, does something called Magical Misery Tour, and it's Tony Hendra, who is a very funny guy. If you know him from uh, the movie Spinal Tap, yeah. he's the manager in Spinal Tap. But Tony does a Lennon impersonation, and the entire track, the lyrics are taken from the uh, Rolling, the inter- Stone, the Rolling interview. Stone interview that became the book Lennon Remembers. And the movie so and the series. Kind of the, yes, and the hit series. Right? Yeah, okay. exactly. Which is, anyway. by the way, if you go to iTunes, you can download for free the Lennon Remembers. Right. Lennon Remembers. So the interview comes out, and if you had any doubt that there was some anger in one but of the Beatles. Sh- we should mention the primal scream. They're hanging out with the Stajanov. Stajanov, yeah. No, yeah. the primal scream therapy. The therapy, yeah, because that's yeah, well, he sort of it. where, I don't think if he had done that, that he would have opened up the way he did to Rolling Stone. Right, really, that's part of the therapy. I think that it was part, part right, of, yeah. you have to open it was like it. he cleared out with uh, Janov. Janov. Yeah. And then he, his first major interview is with Jan Wenner, right. and he's just... Okay, time to spit the poison out. It's right. colon cleansing and, and let's time. Reason, though, yeah. He doesn't spare anyone. I mean, no. it's not just that he attacks the Beatles. It's <laughs> that, you know, I mean, freaking Aunt Mimi can't even be spared. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, we loved Aunt Mimi, and jeez. And you Uncle know, George. And Uncle George. Yeah, I loved him. Man. I didn't anyway, even know Aunt Mimi was a tough cookie. Oof. She was. My God. But that the interview. She threw out his. Sorry. She threw out all his. Effing poems. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but I'll the test out. Will you stop it? Sorry. Thank you. You know how people hate when you do the uh, the, the accents. The and accents. then what's funny is, okay, there's that John Lennon, right? Yep. Breathing fire, <laughs> venom, right? John Lennon. And then, true or false, guys, the John Lennon of 1971 is the perfect John Lennon. The John Lennon everyone <laughs> wishes that they could have. And just for one year, John Lennon was the perfect human being, right? right. When you watch that and you yes. look on the recording of Imagine, you're like, where's the crazy John? Where's the angst? For the-? It's gone. He's polite. He has tea. He's nice Cuddly. to everybody. And then the next year, he goes out of his mind, and he's with a megaphone wearing gloves with the crazy lunatics in New York. He goes completely <laughs> Hey, we're part of those guys. That one year, that one year, 1971, his hair is kind of nice. I mean, everything about it, he wears sweaters. I mean, he really was the John that, like, you know, your mother wanted to see. You know, he was not the crazy John Lennon, right? Am I right? Am I right? You're true. absolutely right. But He's the John the only... you could bring home to mom. Yeah, right? it was the John that, yeah, exactly. Exactly. But, I think he came back around in 73 to that John again for a short period yeah. before he lost his But also again. during the recording of Plastic Ono Band, everyone has said... Ringo said in Klaus Forman that John was cracking jokes in between the breaks. You hear him doing Matchbox, laughing. And yeah, doing all he's that he's stuff. he's having fun. It's just the the material is right. so serious and mm-hmm. foreboding, so to speak. And yeah. then to end the year on a very happy high note, <laughs> <With the mother. laughs> yeah, Paul does something well. You know, the same day as John's tirade, Paul says. Let's proceed in the high court to end the Beatles forever. See you, bye. Yeah, Topping bye. off the year. Hey, don't off. forget, we got that last Beatles Christmas album coming out on December 18th for oh, you kids. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right. Look at you. That's that makes right. it 14 titles. Mother only released in the U.S., right? I yes. think, right, guys? Yes. Yep. Right? Yep. And we forgot. We, we skipped Ringo's. Well, Sentimental Journey? Blues. No, Book of the Blues. Oh, Book of the Blues. You got your album and another U.S. single. Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. Was that in 70? Sure. Two albums by Ringo in 1970. Yeah. Did anybody notice? <laughs> nice. No, but that's what's crazy. <laughs> he was Four- on Ed Sullivan for Sentimental Journey. Yeah. 14 titles yeah. released by John Paul. That's a record for any Beatle year. Wow. wow. Well, I mean, because you God. got how many Beatle albums? Let It Be, the Hey, hey Jude. Jude, and you had, well, you don't count the fan club. But no. then you got a solo album from every Beatle, every. two from Ringo, three from George. <laughs> it's like, wow, how funny is that that you get year. two? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You just did the formula. Two from Ringo and three from George. Yeah, <laughs> Isn't really? that what every album was? Good Lord. Or, or not even, really. No, but let me get, ask you guys this. Have you ever discussed the fact that the Revolver we grew up with is the only Beatle album that has two John Lennon songs? Did you ever wow. think about that? Wow. Wrap your head really around true. that for a minute. Hey, the we US just really Revolver true. has three George Harrison songs and two a Beatle album with two Lennon songs, and that's the album everybody grew up with. Nobody knew the Revolver UK we, album. We right? just did a show on the Beatles' second album, and there's one Paul song. Yep, <laughs> one Paul vocal. <laughs> one Paul vocal. Isn't that scary? Eleven tracks. One, one Paul, Paul vocal. vocal. How about a, a Hard Day's Night? Ten and a half, John. Ten and a half. <laughs> ten and a half John Lennon songs on an right. Beatle album. I think the Russian judge gave him ten and a half, too. Oh, my God. Ten and a half songs on a Beatle album and wow. two on Revolver. Well, on that happy note that Paul is now 
Departnering the Beatles forever. Is that a word, departnering? I just I made it up, but it is did. now. Yeah, it sounds like it. On that happy note, we are going to uh, end the year 1970, and it was a busy year. Really was. Very, yeah. very busy yeah. year for the Beatles, the solo Beatles, and for all the lawyers. They all got rich. <laughs> As I said, the breakup of the Beatles made Watergate look like debating class in grade school. There you go. <laughs> And we want to say really a big thank you to our special guest panelist, Chris Carter, host of Breakfast with the Beatles on Sirius Hey, we got to mention it. I'm in uh, Little Steven's underground garage over there. Well, Sirius I think you just Sirius. did, but you t- cool. say a little bit more, please. That's Channel 21. Ooh, Little on Steve Sirius. Underground Garage. And we're not just being serious. It's actually S-I-R-I-U-S, XM Radio. And may I, can I just add one little footnote to this sure. year of 1970? Absolutely. You sound like this Rob is, now. This is, always, this is always something I find fascinating. George buys Fire Park, right, in like March. Oh, right. And there's no, no heat, no furniture, right? Barely electricity. Paul, in the beginning of 71, buys the property in Scotland. Okay? Yep. So the first quarter... Of 1971, half the Beatles, George and Paul, are sleeping in sleeping bags in places that don't have hot water or heat <laughs> or furniture. These are the Beatles That's in 1971 true. are sleeping with no hot water and no heat. I find that wow. amazing. That's an amazing. That is amazing. To think of. <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just thought it was just jewel. ended up after all that famous wow. fortune. Yeah, right. With no heat. It was just like jewel. Right, <laughs> sleeping in her car, you know, with, in Alaska. With that's cold. Uh, anyway, we uh, we want to say thank you again. We want to let you know that uh, we are Fab for free for all. We are on. Facebook, individual pages. We are uh, have a group page. Write to us at Fab for Free for All with the number four at AOL.com. Our website, www.fabforfreeforall.com. Tony can be heard where? Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on WCWP 88.1 FM or streaming on WCWP.org. And Rob Leonard can be heard where? Beatles songs every Friday at 8 p.m. to 11 p.m. on 90.3 FM WHPC in Garden City, New York. Streaming at ncc.edu slash WHPC or tunein.com search WHPC. And you can uh, certainly hear me once again in the shower. No, actually, you can read my book, Beatle Tunes. Uh, available everywhere that they sell books. We're hoping to get it uh, on Kindle very soon, so that'll be nice for everybody. And, Chris, we want to let you uh, say anything you want, to plug anything you want. Tell us where you can be found, where your website, anything you need. Well, first of all, Tony, Rob, and Mitch, I want to say thank you for having me. Because so I've pleasure. read only good things, and I've listened to some of your past shows. And uh, Sorry to hear that. It's a <laughs> pleasure to be here. Uh, you can catch us every Sunday, Sirius XM, Channel 21, 9 a.m. East Coast time, with a repeat broadcast at 12 midnight. You can listen online, uh, 955klos.com as well. And uh, that's pretty much uh, about where you can hear me. Oh, <laughs> very cool. Very cool. <laughs> we have... Really enjoyed you for a lot of years. Yes, absolutely. Uh, we could say that. I'll be honest with you, I don't want to embarrass you, but I really loved watching you on The Bands Reunited in Dramarama. Ah, what that a was, wonderful experience. That was a fun episode. <laughs> is that is that tongue-in-cheek, or is that you really mean no, that? No, it was just the way they yeah. set it up was very uh, deceiving. The, this of course. guy, Richard Blade, comes to my house, and he says, we're going to do a new show called Most Influential Bands of the 80s. And I was like, <laughs> I was like wow, you're kidding. We're really? You know, with the replacements and you, I'm like, really? Fantastic. Where can we find the other band? So I give them everybody's a phone number. <laughs> and then one morning I'm doing the show, and it's like I'm in my... I, like, you know, short pants, didn't take a shower, I roll out of bed, and all of a sudden I look up and there's like a camera crew with like 13 guys coming in. <laughs> Chris Carter, your bands reunite. I'm like, what the? Oh, right instantly I go, we weren't on no influential band. This guy pulled my, I couldn't, I was so mad. So but it I was had a, a good bad episode. taste in my mouth with Richard Blade, because I'd known the guy for years. He came over to my house, I gave him hors d'oeuvres, and he lied to me the whole time. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Are you trying to it's say so a, another reality show maybe isn't that real? Yeah. Is, is that what you're trying to say? That was one of the first ones, if you think about it, too, that they really hit the cameras into your face and you were following you around. It was weird. Do you want to just so uh, maybe say a, a word about Deirdre? 
Dear Joe Donahue. Yes. Uh, wow. I mean, I used to listen to Deirdre. She hosted Breakfast with the Beatles. We've been on the air for 30 years, this show. I look at it like the Tonight Show. You know, it's like Jack Parr, Johnny Carson. You know, I filled in for uh, Deirdre. And I believe consistently being on the radio, never going off the air. We've been on longer than any other Beatles show because some Beatles shows come and go, you know, but right. we've never gone off the air. We've been on FM radio for 30 straight years. Yes, we want to well. give a wink and a nod to Yeah, wink and a nod to her. Absolutely. Uh, and we know, yeah. I mean, if you haven't listened to Chris, you need to because, I mean, it's a really fun show, but Chris also has A people on it. You know, I mean, obviously Paul and Ringo and Joe Walsh and everybody that you'd want to hear is on Chris's show. So Hey, I work on them too. They just won't come on my show. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder why. I, I don't know. I, 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 get, I offer cookies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, you should tell you should tell Chris what kind of cookies. Are you no, mean, you should, I think it's, it's the I think instead of the t- yeah, you more. can't have the tag alongs. You got to have the Samoas. <laughs> you know See, if, if Joe was still drinking, I'd just oh, find some alcohol. <laughs> no, you got to go up to eighteen-year-old James. You, know, you got to go up to Paul McCartney and say, "Hey, we're going to put you on a show, and it's going to be the Paul. most no, <laughs> It's going to be the most influential bands of the sixties, <laughs> and then you'll have Paul on, and you know, hey, up doors, we're doing a number on you. No, but we we do uh, we really have enjoyed listening to you for years, and we we do appreciate all that you do out there. You take yeah. over a lot of the um, hosting when stuff happens in L.A., which is awesome. And I know you have really good relationships with them, and you really bring out the best in them from what I've heard all over the years. And as a Beatle fan as well as, I, I guess, a historian. I appreciate that, and I'm sure the other guys do, and I'm sure everybody does. Yeah. Well, thank you very so much. So we really do appreciate it, and we look forward to having you on again if you'd... Uh, if hey, you'd... anytime, guys. This is actually something I was looking forward to more than most things lately. <laughs> oh, that's Sorry. great to hear. We wow, appreciate that's, it. That, that's great for us. Right. So for Fab Four Free For All, this is Mitch Axelrod, and joining me has been... Tony Chiguardo. Rob Leonard. Rob Leonard and... Chris Carter. Hey, thank you very much, <laughs> and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All. Okay, that's uh, we're we're done with Julian, and uh, very versatile, talented very, man. We we do like him. Yeah. Uh, next is John's son with Yoko, Sean. Sean has I think picked up as a songwriter. Uh, John's quirky use of time signatures. Two albums solo, right? And with Yoko and his current girlfriend, I guess. Yeah, he joined the Plastic Ono Band. Right, Yoko, but then he yes. also did Ghost yeah. of a Toad. I believe it's oh. called. We just said it. It's called Ghost of a Toad. Is that really it? I believe so. Go luck. I'm telling you, it's called Ghost of a Toad. All right, then. No, go go luck. (laughs) You noodle. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to go down one of those. Oh, my God. You know, we were out late last night. That's (laughs) the problem. Ghost of a Toad. (laughs) If we do a recording tonight, we should have went to bed at 10 o'clock last night. (laughs) Ghost of a Saber-Toothed Tiger. (laughs) Ghost of a saber-toothed toad. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. Okay. Edit. That is. All right. Come All on. Right. Okay. I'll I'll start it.